Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. It's Sam Bruce and Christy Doran back after a brief hiatus. Uh, apologies for missing the, the Scotland Review team. Uh, we got caught up in some uh, some other bits and pieces. Christy on Cricket World Cup duty and uh, me doing a bit of my other great passion, uh, UFC and uh, the martial arts world. But of course, um, we've got plenty to talk about uh, following the weekend's match uh, defeat. Uh, by uh, defeat by England over the Wallabies, of course, uh, 32-15. But we're going to start with some um, some breaking news this morning, this Tuesday morning, with uh, Wallabies captain Michael Hooper being ruled out of the tour finale, the season finale against Wales at the Principality on Saturday night. Uh, a midfoot, uh, grade two midfoot sprain. Um, so uh, you can uh, all make your own individual uh everyday man on the street or woman on the street equally uh, diagnosis of what that means. Um, but what it is, what there is no doubt about Christy is that that is a huge loss for a team that has lost its way in recent weeks. Yeah. You know, no doubt about that. We're not doctors. So yeah, you're right. We, we, what the heck is a mid sprain? I think I'd been told that it was a, a soft issue, tissue injury. Um, and, and I was, I'd asked a few people, was that the sort of thing that you can, run on or, or play through and they said well yeah because if it's not ligament you probably can but the scans yesterday clearly showing that um, a lot of swelling and, and you know what, what's the point on throwing your, your skipper maybe your most important player into a what was described to me as one former wallaby as a dead rubber I don't know if Dave Rennie will be approaching it as a, a dead rubber but that seems a bit harsh yeah well yeah but that, that's essentially what it is now um, but playing for more than pride, playing for momentum, which is a big thing. Because if you go three straight, the headlines instantly are pretty bad. You haven't won a test overseas all year. What it means, though, in the interim is a brand new seven. We haven't seen a, a different person wearing the number seven jersey under Dave Rennie. It's all been Michael Hooper. So who who does that mean that comes in? And, and most likely, almost certainly, is Pete Samu and, and probably... Um, Colby Fyinger comes off the bench to make his debut. And, and the reason why you say almost certainly um, uh, Pete Samu is the fact that Colby isn't based in Australia. What is, what's the point on bringing in a guy like Colby Fyinger when he's not going to be there going forward? The disappointing thing is that I don't think Pete Samu is a starting number seven. Um, he's had a few opportunities uh, once or twice in the seven jersey before with, with Michael Hooper being injured, I think in 2018 perhaps. Um, but um, he's he, he's been given opportunities to start, never really grabbed it. He's been beaten at the breakdown once or twice. What's his point of difference? His point of difference, in fact, is coming off the bench, adding pace, adding tempo, adding that polishing ability to up um, the tempo and, and, you know, he did such an outstanding job for the Crusaders for years doing just that. And he has for the Wallabies too. There's always this idea that, oh, if you do well off the bench, then instantly you have to start. Well, that's not always how it works out, but the most disappointing thing for me, and, and I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are and hindsight will go sure. It's easy to say that now, but at no stage was Fraser McGride, at the same, um, you know, it wasn't the same case with Noah Lolisea nor Harry Wilson. Harry Wilson's still growing into his body a bit more. He's a bigger number eight. Noah Lolisea, quite a small, slender number 10, who you still want to keep that spark, but probably want to put on a little bit more size. That can happen. Richie Mawanga wasn't just thrown into the all-black side in his first or second year being a crusader. It took him a little while to get there, so he got those pre-seasons under his belt. 
But Fraser McWright is already physically developed enough as the seven that he will be. Um, my understanding right the way through was he was asked, Fraser, do you, like, what do you think? Do you, uh, Fraser said, do you, do you see me playing any minutes on this spring tour? Dave might have gone, well, you know, we've got hoops there. We've got Sean McMahon there. It's going to be pretty tough. Pete Samu is the man filling all the roles off the bench. There probably wasn't a spot there, but I suspect that both Fraser really probably wanted to go on that tour, particularly if he had an opportunity to play. And I suspect that um, Dave Rennie didn't really put him in the same school of thought about being needed to, to put on some size and have a preseason. What it's shown, though, that as soon as Sean McMahon pulled out of that, that tournament, or sorry, the, the spring tour, it left, it left a back row position, which was filled by Colby Feyinger. And, and, you know, the, the strange thing and the disappointing thing is that Fraser is, is pretty much held the tackle bags for two years. He's had a couple of opportunities off the bench. He was provided a great spark of interjection against the All Blacks in 2020 in a really disappointing display at the Olympic Stadium. And he hasn't had any more minutes because the captain wears the number seven jersey and he never likes to come off. So that was the disappointing thing. And, uh, you know, going forward, this is a guy who has leadership qualities about him, which is very well recognised by everyone. He's a genuine on-baller and has fantastic linking ability. Do You know, how, how, does, how, do, how do the Queensland Reds go to Fraser McWright in the next year or two? Mate, we, we need you to keep here. You're obviously a player of national interest when he can't get a minute. And that's the fear that he ends up being a lean deal kind of situation and goes overseas. Yeah, you're right, Christy. It harks back to how poorly managed that whole um, Japan scenario was with McMahon, Karevi, and of course, Quade Cooper as well. Why that wasn't finalised before the team left. And we haven't actually covered this because um, this all kind of started to really filter out uh, later in that week following the Japan test. Now, as I've said to you, uh, you know, uh, in our private conversations, that that should have been absolutely handled from top to bottom either way before the team left Australia. If they weren't going to go, then it should have been decided then. But when they left, um, and, you know, uh, injuries are a part of rugby, aren't they? And, of course, uh, this has presented itself in the final week. And I always thought that uh, the Japan game was actually a perfect opportunity to give Fraser McWright a run, um, give Michael Hooper the, the week off. I know, you know, he doesn't like to have a week off and he likes to play 80 minutes. And we all saw the, the frustration and uh, pain in his face when he came off there on on Saturday night, just the utter disappointment. But at some point, you've got to bring guys through, haven't you? Even if it is in the skipper's position. Now, I would have thought playing that Japan game and then perhaps giving Fraser McWright a spot on the, on the bench for this deciding game against Wales. We know what Pete Samu's been able to bring off the bench all year. Um, but at some point, there's got to be a bit of forward planning and succession planning, whatever you want to call it. Um, we know Michael Hooper's not going to be around forever, but he's clearly going to get through to the World Cup and maybe even the Lions series after that. And then, of course, this does bring in the scenario, as you mentioned, that um, does Fraser McWright become a bit of a Liam Gill? I, I don't think it's going to get to that stage because he is much younger. Um, yeah. But could he be lost overseas in the meantime? And then the, the money adds up. I don't think he's that kind of guy. I, I think he has probably been told that, Fraser, you're a potentially a, a decade-long player for us here. You've just got to, you know, um, just got to cool your shot. heels for a little bit and and be prepared to sit and wait. But at the same time as a player, you've got to think, well, I, I need an opportunity to to get out there and, and sample the test arena before I get thrown into that jersey, probably full-time as we expect in the future. 
Yeah, and all along we've heard Dave Rennie go, we need these players to make these shifts and to get there and, and this and that. But at the end of the day, you actually need to um, find out a bit more about players on the field and what they do on the field, you know, the communication Absolutely. and so forth. Like it's tra- training and, and, and we know that Dave Rennie is massive on training and I suppose most coaches are, but they say that you need to t- demand the excellence on the training field as you do off it and, and on the uh, like during matches. But it, I completely agree about the opportunity to play that last match in Wales um, off the bench. Um, and we also have to remember that the, the spring tour in years gone by has always been an opportunity to develop one or two players, to see Absolutely. what they're like. But more so than ever before, I think, given the fact that there hadn't been a spring tour for quite a while, what an opportunity to soak up some of that atmosphere, to find out a bit more about how people operate away from home, different, um, different time zones, different weather conditions. Um, and you also like that injection of, 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 of youth excitement. Um, it, it's a hugely missed opportunity. I think, you know, what do you really learn? Colby Fyinger, everybody loves Colby Fyinger because he was a guy that was really well respected by his teammates, really a gentleman off the pitch for those that knew him. His brothers have both played for, for the Wallabies too. What a story it is. And, you know, it's almost a bit like the Holly Hoskins story. It's a beautiful one, but, what do you learn about the Wallabies? And and not a lot. And that's the that's the unfortunate thing in all of this. You don't want to harp on and go, you know, be a um, be negative and at a bit of a downer about these sorts of things. But that in the it really is what's actually occurred. Uh, no time frame for Michael Hooper's return. He will remain with the team. Uh, he has been nominated for the World Rugby Player of the Year. There is, uh, I'm not sure there's a, a gala function as usual, given that the COVID times anymore. The Wallabies are flying back to to Sydney on Sunday. So he'll hang up there this week. Uh, Christy, just before we leave this one, um, probably James Slipper and Nick White, the two most likely options to uh, replace him as captain against Wales. Yeah, you, you would absolutely think so. Um, James Slipper, uh, we know that Dave Rennie's a huge fan of James Slipper and he did a fantastic job moving to the tight head. He probably exceeded my expectations about how he went on that side. We know that he's a, he's a champion player and he's the guy that, all his teammates love. Um, to me, it's probably the most unheralded comeback story in Australian rugby in a long while because whilst we all know the stories of Quade Cooper, James O'Connor, um, James Slipper was a bloke who, you know, by his own admission, had a couple of – he had a big fall from greats. He, he you know, co- a couple of cocaine yep. ups, um, took some time away from the game, was brought back, was – told by the Queensland Reds, sorry, you know, you like we need to move in a, a new direction, have a cultural shift. Dave Dan McKellar offers him opportunity and he's been brilliant. He's made every post a winner. Um, he's a guy that's very sincere. When you talk to him, he's a bloke that speaks with wisdom. Uh, and I think he's probably one of the best players in that Australian environment and the sort of guy that if the Wallabies do become a real force in the next two to three years, it's someone like a James Slipper and a Michael Hooper who demand excellence. That that you know is the real backbone and the reason why. Um, without trying to gloss over the uh, the World Rugby um, nominations too much, it's a bit of a shame that it's a it's a it's a it's a vote by the public. Maro um, Toja and 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 uh, Dupont Anton Dupont, the two other nominees. Like, 
I think DuPont will wrap it up, even though he's only played a handful of tests. The fact that it's about his um, excellence for Toulouse in the in the French top 14, winning both titles, they shouldn't play a role, but they will. Because, you know, how do you remember these guys? And you remember them by winning championships. Um, Otoja was was pretty guilty of giving away a 1,000 penalties throughout the Six Nations earlier in the year. So, yes, he played for the Lions, but I, I think it's pretty staggering that he got nominated himself. Um, you can think of a handful of other players, maybe, you know, perhaps Kalisi only played a few, and I know that a lot of people were saying that he, I, I wouldn't have nominated him at all. But, you know, Scotland are the real movers and shakers throughout yeah. um, the, the, the campaign that's just come back. Alan Wynne-Jones was colossal for Wales throughout the Six Nations, somehow made a heroic comeback for the Lions despite initially being ruled out. And then you go to the World Rugby coach nominees, your men's and women's for um, sevens and, and the English rugby side, women's side in, in, in 15s. But then Ian Foster and Dave Rennie, you know, Dave Rennie, unfortunately, like let's not sugarcoat it. How many tests have they lost? Two, two in a row, three against the All Blacks, one against France. Not sure how you can get nominated when you lose six tests for the year. Yes, they went on a, a good run of five straight wins. And then Ian Foster losing against the Springboks, lost over the weekend against Ireland. What about Gregor Townsend? What about um, Wayne Pivak at, at Wales? Who, you know, this is a guy that was within an inch of being sacked last year and they lead Wales to the Six Nations champions. So some crazy decisions that have been made. It's curious. And, and if we focus in on the World Player of the Year, I guess... Um... It's why, say, at the Rugby Australia Awards, they have a, a fans player of the year that is separate to, obviously, a different voting format, admittedly, with being a player's player sort of 3 two, one voting system. But if World Rugby wanted to open up to the fans, and this is a big push for them at the moment, you know, they've whinged about not having a great rugby video game for the last, well, virtually since 2008. I, I haven't played since Jana Loma, so I can't even tell you what rugby away was like. But... Um, they wanted to big on this fan engagement again and trying to reconnect and you know make them all make the game more entertaining and and put it you know front and center you feel like fans have the control and that's all well and good but keep that separate for me if you want to have a true player of the year as they have always done it um, get in you know some greats of your game some Richie McCall John Eels um, Martin Johnson's the list goes on and have these guys decide from a panel um, I must admit I thought Artie Sevilla very stiff um, you know a, a great piece written by Liam Napier for us uh, a couple of weeks ago um, from New Zealand um, he was brilliant throughout the rugby championship stepped into captain a couple of times there after Sam Whitelock had stayed at home and of course earlier the in the year, the injury to Sam Kane um, had a phenomenal season. So, yeah, look, I, I guess I'm not sure the players, you know, buy into that. Like, sure, it's a great honour and, and something to have on the resume at the end of the career. But yeah. uh, we all know they value, you know, World Cups and Bledisloe Cups and Rugby Championships and Six Nations titles and, and everything else well enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. The final point on that is, you know, Simon Karevi, oh, he turned the Wallabies around. He absolutely deserves to be there, as does Michael Hooper, I think, too. Um, has had a really impressive year. But having two Australians in there now in a fan vote means, well, the population of Australia is only 25 million. If, you, if you've got a few people that do vote, well, they're probably going to split the votes, aren't yep. they? So, you know, it's a disaster for Australian rugby if you're, if you're looking for your first ever world rugby player of the mm. year. When a guy like David Pocock or George Smith in years gone by were, were unfortunate, Kirtley Beale was nominated in 2010, um, and I think it was, uh, it might have been Richie McCall that, that got it in that year. Um, 
it's yeah anyway it's a head scratcher but moving on to you know the here and the now England on the weekend uh, too good really for Australia 32-15 and and if you hone in on a few different things yes the penalties were 18-9 um, or there thereabouts in terms of the, the lost penalty count England had you know 66% possession just as much territory all the stats went against the, the Wallabies turnovers were more as well but you know, in at at nineteen fifteen, England, uh, you know, midway through the second half, Australia was still somehow in the match. You know, Michael Hooper goes off after fifty five minutes. What happens? And Australia don't score another point in that last twenty five minutes, and they concede what is it thirteen a try and a couple more penalty goals as well. So, have we underestimated Michael Hooper's ability in the past? Did it cover her up, or was it, was this once again England flexing their muscles in the last twenty minutes? which they've done to the Wallabies ever since Eddie Jones came into, into the coaching role, replacing Stuart Lancaster. And exactly how Eddie had predicted it pre-game. Um, you've got to get tip your hat. He had a busy week uh, running his mouth off Eddie or just doing what Eddie likes to do. And, and I guess said, um, you know, we love it in the media because it helps um, raise the profile of the game. And he, he never, he's never short of a line, is he? Look, they finished the stronger and they were the stronger team from the opening whistle, Christy. Let's face it, uh, the Wallabies, I described as the most deflating loss of the year, I think for Australian rugby purely because they just never really ever look like putting any consistent pressure on the England defensive line or threatening a try uh, to score themselves. Um, I was watching the replay again yesterday and uh, I, I had a thought that the um, the length of your Caterpillar ruck for a box kick clearance is almost directly related to your inability to uh, to break down a defensive line. And at one stage there in the first 20 minutes, Nick White had four guys at a Caterpillar ruck there. The ball had become so static that he had to drag it back that far to get a, a box kick clearance away so safely. Now, um, you know, there was a couple of occasions right from the opening kickoff when they spread it wide. Um, and, of course, the, the final play um, when uh, Lenny gets out through the uh, the intercept pass when they're obviously chasing a try there uh, to Sam Simmons and it finishes in a in the England try to really, to Blamir there, to really um, put the exclamation point on the victory. But it, it was just, you know, they, they, they couldn't get anything going, could they? As Dave Rennie said, uh, in his post-match press conference. Sure, the discipline was one thing, but um, they just never threatened to to really open up the England defence. Hunter Paisami went through for a broken play off a kick, I believe, or a drop ball midway through the second half there. But just a hugely disappointing performance given um, the nature of it. Yeah, it, it was. It was interesting that you made the comment about the Wallabies spreading the ball from the opening kickoff. That was fascinating in itself. The last time I remember that they really doing that was against South Africa and 2018 or 19, I think Kurt Beal might have, he might have even been playing at 10 or, or fullback, but he got intercepted. That's and it, right. Yep. It was a it was a spectacular opening to a game played in South Africa, and, and they were never really in it from then. But the Wallabies actually did manage to get slightly on the outside, but that was the only piece of enterprising play from the Wallabies. Uh, it, pretty much in the entire half from structured play. Um it was it was surprising. Um they <laughs> The, the disappointing thing, too, is the Wallabies, they still had a big six in Rob Liotta. They had a big eight in Rob Valentini, um, Rory Arnold. They've got ball carriers there. Um, we've said it in the past, you and I, on, on this podcast, that they often play away from sometimes their strengths, which is, you know, these guys do have the ability to go toe-for-toe toe and at times to, to better their oppositions. Um we didn't see, and, and, and it might have been Ollie Hoskins who said 
uh, in, in the post match that they hardly got a you know multiple phases. They hardly Big went white as well. Yeah, hardly went two or three phases. It's that when you when you lose and you think, how did that quite happen? Yes, we want to play. Um, yes, Australia wanted to play a, a game which is territory based, but sometimes you've just got to back yourselves, and that's where I think Samu Karevi had that really. Um, uh, he, he changed the way the Wallabies played, and he and he made Quade Cooper look phenomenal. But Quade Cooper equally played extremely well, and he knew he knew the limitations of the side, but the strengths that being Samu Karevi too. That Karevi has the ability to change the way you want to play the game throughout a match. You know, you don't have to necessarily click gears to go all out of fence or all out defense, um, or all out attack. He, he, he can truck it up. He can put it through the hands or he could be a decoy. The Wallabies, when they've got Hunter Paisami there at the moment, and he played well himself, but he's still learning in his development, is it looks like when he gets the ball, it's like they're playing on a fast forward moment. Um, and, and, it's, and it could be a computer game. And, and the only way that he can play is on fast forward mode because it's always at a million miles an hour. And it just struggles with the with the tempo, with the poise, with the um, control that they play with. And, and there wasn't a huge amount of that on the weekend. No, conversely, I was um, reminded of England's play actually looked a lot um, in that opening quarter in particular, uh, with the try to the, the fullback there after I think about six or seven minutes. Um, that actually reminded me a lot of how the Wallabies looked against the Springboks uh, in that second test in Brisbane. Players in motion, speed on the ball, tempo on the ball. Um, and I just thought to myself, well, where is this gone for the Wallabies uh, in this match? And we just never saw it. Um, let's talk, Christy, about the discipline. I, I mean, the yellow card, I could have some sympathy for for Tom Wright's tackle. Um, he got caught high up in a bad position and there was no malice in the tackle. There was no force in the tackle. Um, but every day of the week now, that's a yellow card. Angus Bells was was far more disappointing given the lifting tackle, the tip tackle has been, you know, outlawed for, you know, we, we think back to Sam Warburton's red card at the uh, the 2011 World Cup uh, in the semi-final against France there and the outcry that came with that then. But you look at that tackle now and think, well, he'd probably be set for about a 10-week suspension now. Such has been the development in the um, the officiating and and the suspensions that go with that kind of tackle now. So it was just it was needless. He didn't have the ball um, and was probably you know a couple of centimeters away from landing on his shoulder or neck uh, region there, Courtney Laws, and and finishing in a red card. So the Wallabies play you know um, play the match uh, down a man down to fourteen men for, for twenty minutes in the end. That only thing makes things tougher again. On the flip side, I guess. As Eddie Jones mentioned, you know, you, and Dave did as well, there was some character there to show to, to hang in the match, but it just made an already difficult assignment that much tougher. Yeah, absolutely. He he, he was lucky that Courtney Laws put his arm out because yep. at no stage was dangerous because I don't even think the head touched the ground. That's a good, yep. that's one of the positives when, when a guy is, you know, 200 centimetres tall and, he, and he's 115 kilo. Uh, he's lucky that it wasn't Marcus Smith who who's, you know, you know, a haircut probably would have been the first thing that, that touches the ground, but but and that that's not that 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 there is an example of a young player who I think has the ability to be the world's best loose head prop. This guy is twenty twenty one and has already got a dozen caps under his belt, uh, and physically is so well developed. He is going to be a monster of a player, but. It's an example of a guy who's in his second test in the Northern Hemisphere, who's playing in front of the biggest crowd 
that he ever has. You know, eighty thousand at Twickenham, and he, and it's and it's a time where he thinks, okay, this is an opportunity to maybe change the momentum by putting on a massive hit. You know, the ball, as you said, he didn't even have the ball because he had just offloaded previously. Bell, you look at his head position and his tackle position, wasn't even looking. He knew he was bracing for contact and ready to drive. You know, he's obviously gone past, but that's an example of a young player who's just slightly trying to go, look at me, follow me, guys, yeah. I'll, I'll turn it around. Because up until then, Wallabies were still struggling um, in terms of, yes, they were in the game, but they weren't actually, um, they weren't really looking like they would win the game. So there's two different things there. Um, Going forward, Alan Al or Taniela Tupo, the hope is that the two of them come back. It looks like Ollie Hoskins is still with the Wallabies squad, and rightly so. He had a really good cameo for 10 minutes off the bench and, and put a, a good shot on. Um, he managed to he managed to force an error as well with the counter rack, which was, was him holding the, 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 the ball carry off the ground. What I'll say is that um, uh, the, the Wallabies... You know, the temptation will be to make a few changes. I, d- I don't necessarily think that they, they should. I think Pack actually stood up pretty well. Um, I, I just couldn't believe that Dave Rennie didn't go to his bench earlier. You know, it, it, to me, it screamed the guy that was, was, well, we've got 15 out there. We don't trust the 23. We know that the modern game particularly, you really need to go to your bench because it, it gives you a real injection. Um and the fact that Will Skelton had 17 minutes off the bench, off the back of only having 20 minutes against Scotland, what are you learning from Will Skelton by having him there? We've been talking about having him have an opportunity for years and years. I, I think he has to start this week, mate. Otherwise, it defeats the absolute purpose of having him in on this tour. Um, now, Will's done nothing. I'm happy to say that coming off the bench so far. And I was really worried about one of his carries. I don't think he had too many more than one or two, to be honest, on the weekend, starting from a static position. I want him absolutely charging onto the ball. So this week, if I'm Dave Rennie, I'm saying, Will, here's your start, mate. I want you to go out there in the first 10 minutes and put some heat, put some power on that ball and charge into that Welsh defensive line because that's what you've been brought back into this squad for. Um, We've got to see it this weekend. Otherwise, you just say, well, what's been the point of this whole experiment? Yeah, and it it wasn't just, I'll come back to Will in a moment, but it wasn't just him, you know. The only reason why Dave Rennie went to his bench in the first place was to replace the injured Michael Hooper. Pete Sami comes on for 25 minutes, but Tate McDermott comes on in the last 10. Noah Lucia comes in in the last 10. The entire front row was changed. I, the changes I'd like to see, I, I didn't think Flair firing had a great game. Um, he, he continues to frustrate. Tolu Latu, for me, has to start, even though he looks a little uh, ungainly with... Um, at the moment, um, coming off the bench. It seems like he hasn't seen as much sun or whatever it might be. But he, he he's someone who gets on the ball when you lose a Michael Hooper sort of player. Yeah, that's a good point. You need another breakdown presence. That's one of his best attributes. Um, and you need to find out a little bit more about him. I would be starting Will Skelton for sure. Um, they're not going to start Tate McDermott, but... You know, he's a guy that played well. He was probably one of the few shining lights along with Andrew Kellaway against the All Blacks. He was great off the bench against France. Trust this guy to play. There's not enough trust for me in terms of these couple of Queensland Reds guys, Fraser McWright included, who's obviously not there. But, yeah, Will Skelton is is, is someone who uh, people, and I saw a reaction on Twitter, and and you never really want to, no offence, take too much of what people say on Twitter 
um, seriously because they don't necessarily know what's going on or the dynamics within the team. I think a lot. one of the reasons why I think Will Skelton was held back was because Angus Bell was off. You're down to 14 men. You probably do need a uh, more mobile second rower to make up for the, the extra person who's not there, the missing person. So do you want a, a Will Skelton or do you want to keep a Rory Arnold who is probably more physically mobile and gets across the park slightly better than Will Skelton? That's the reason why I think he was held back. That's the reason why I hope he was held back. But, you know, you need you need him, I think, starting to to work out whether or not this guy is in your, your best 23. And sorry, to go back to the Twitter, the person said, Oh, we haven't worked out, you know, anything from these European guys. They were talked up. They've, they've offered nothing. Well, I disagree. I think Rory Arnold has been brilliant in the rolling more and around the, the line-out been very good too. He's, he's uh, how I remember him from when he was playing 2019 World Cup and, and before that. Yeah, he's a, he, he's a pillar of strength and grunt. Um, but he's not a he's not a he, he's a guy that dents the line. He doesn't necessarily power through it, but he, he puts sting in the tackle as well. But, you know, we haven't seen Tyler Latu because he's hard to play at any minutes. And we haven't seen Will Skelton. So, and Kirtley Abiel, I think, actually played pretty well. And, yes, he tried one or two things in the last 10 minutes. Didn't necessarily work. But they, they needed to try a thing or two at that point in time. And he dropped the ball after 60 minutes, a really poor pass from Hunter Paisami, which was one of his few blemishes. So, I don't buy the thing that these European forwards have offered nothing. I just think that it shows how important Samu Karevi is. But you've also got to back some of these European guys to see what they can do. Absolutely. Uh, Chrissy. I guess then it was a question you put to, to Dave Rennie there early on, on Sunday morning. Um, how badly do the Wallabies need to go to Cardiff and get the win uh, in this final test of the year? Uh, yesterday in my piece for SBN.com, it's um, as much to me as, and for this Wallabies group, it should be a, a mental thing. You've got the opportunity to finish with an eight and six season as opposed to a seven and seven season, finishing a year with three straight defeats um, when it was, you know, looking so good there, the, probably before Japan. Japan, we sort of thought, saw a few hiccups that we thought could potentially open up on this tour. And with what uh, developed later that week around um, Sema Karevi, Quay Cooper and McMahon, to a lesser degree, have been confirmed. But um, look, if a win this weekend, as I said, turns into an eight and six year, and you probably look back and think, you know, on the balance of, what went down? Sure, the Bledisloe was disappointing. We got the series, or sorry, the Wallabies got the series win over France, finished the rugby championship with four straight wins, um, hit a couple of speed bumps in Europe, but then finished with a, a strong victory over Wales, or at least a victory uh, over Wales in Cardiff. Um, you look back and you think, you know what? Pretty happy with that season. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, you, you probably didn't mention there, um, you know, a trophy wear against not only South Africa and Argentina, but also against France. You know, that was an yep. important series. And people will go, oh, yeah, but they didn't have their full strength side. Well, yes, they didn't. Um, absolutely, they didn't, missing some of the best players in the world. But at the same time, equally, it's another series win. And, you know, that French team is was plucky because they had some guys that were really good at disturbing the ball, very different to what other teams around the world would be able to offer. So, yeah, eight and six. But you know, in addition to that, you think what's going forward? And you've got three tests against England. Now, no way do I think that England is going to clean sweep Australia next year. We would have said the same thing in 2015, absolutely, 2016, absolutely. But you know, it, it allows if you don't win this match, it goes well three straight 
defeats. Then, you know, if they do lose that first one against England next July, it's four. Then you've got an All Blacks, you know, but so here we go again, and it, and it quickly adds up. So it's important more than anything for the marketing, for the campaign, for um, the Wallabies' own belief to be able to finish the yep. year high, to everyone to go back to Australia and go, you know what, well, yeah, we didn't go what we set about to achieve, but we had a good win against a lot of the odds with the injuries that they've endured as well as, um, you know, the guys that pulled out. But I think, um, you know, when, when push just comes to shove, you also think about the two tests that just lost. They probably should have won one of those. You know, the, the, maybe the, the Scotland one in particular where there was tries that were disallowed, but they were still in it against England. And they're the positives. I... I was pretty, not disappointed, but I wrote a, a story for Sunday for Monday, which was essentially, you know, this has been a bit of a blessing in the disguise for Dave Rennie. You know, everyone is lamenting the fact that they've lost, you know, back to the uh, same old ways, rinse and repeat. Um, we need Quake Cooper, we need Simon Karevi. But oh, I, was, I was saying, well, this is what an opportunity to actually see the depth, the guys underneath it. And that's where, once again, to harp back on it, it's disappointing that Fraser McWright's not there, but you get to find out a lot more about the guys that will be there if there's an injury going forward. And that's, that is a blessing. That is an opportunity to get guys to not just have 10 tests, but maybe 15 tests. And some of those are starting and an opportunity to see what Northern hemisphere footy is like. Yeah. Wales uh, at home will be tough. Uh, I had a, yeah, quite a topsy turvy game. I guess you could call it against Fiji on the weekend. The Fijians down to 13 men uh, at one point lost um, uh, a player to red card there. Late in the first half, um, but the Fijians still stayed in right until the the final minute of the match when a, a late Wales try um, gifted uh, or blew the scoreline out scoreline out just a touch. And I thought uh, the Lewis Reesemet try forcing the ball had more than a question mark about it there. Uh, in the end goal, Chrissy, just before we leave the test arena, we're going to um, finish briefly uh, on Super Rugby Pacific draw yesterday. But I think it'd be remiss of us not to. Touch on the fantastic test um, in Dublin over the weekend. Ireland beating the All Blacks. Um, a brilliant performance from the Irish. I thought they were in command of that game the, the whole way through, despite trailing on the scoreboard there um, through much of the first half. Um, have uh, found some some new players there in the back line. Um, a couple of names I hadn't heard before. And, of course, you know, that's probably more of a slide on me, not being up to date with my European rugby as much as I should be. Um, but they've got a great forward pack. And, geez, that was an impressive performance, I thought. Yeah, and if Taniola Tubo wants to focus in on the player, um, channel or player to kind of go, well, who's the best tight head in the world at the moment? Well, Tug Furlong is, is probably the man, isn't he? Um, Ireland, you know, impressive. James Lowe, impressive. Former New Zealand Super Rugby player. Didn't get an opportunity to wear the All Blacks jersey. Goes to Ireland. You know, it's great to see where you've got a grandmother or two. Check your passports, ladies and gents. Um, but... He, he, once again, good player, showed so much skill and flair when he was playing in New Zealand, takes that up. Um, and, and you know, um, uh, Jamison, um, Park, uh, yeah. fine player. Uh, um, obviously, Johnny Sexton, we know all about, but, you know, his replacement coming in there to ice the game, always impressive. Those are the sorts of things because Ireland is... Yeah, let's, we can't sugarcoat it. Ireland's been terrible these last two World Cups. You know, they were massive underachievers in, in 2019. That's that's the grey cloud hanging over their heads, isn't it? They've never been past the, the quarterfinals of a World Cup and they were smacked by the All Blacks there in uh, in Japan a couple of years ago. Yeah, and even in 2015, to lose to that Argentinian side, ugh, that they had injuries and that's what hurt them. Um, 
where's the depth in Ireland? That's the sort of thing that they've, they've always been trying to find. Who's the replacement for Johnny Sexton? Um, you know, he, he was missing in, in 2015 in the finals. Uh, Paul O'Connell had, had picked up an injury in the last game as well. So you kind of understood why they, they were knocked out. But, you know, and people will still come to me, and rugby show officials will still come to me and go, well, how does Ireland's attack look so much better than the Wallabies and so forth? Yes, and you know the cohesion stuff that Ben Darwin talks about, but you know, yes, they rely so heavily on Leinster. Um, they've got 40, 50 plays in their academy right throughout their system, so that they're always playing together. They make up the bulk, but when push comes to shove, you know, let's just go back to the World Cup. They failed to, they have failed to deliver when it counts. So I think. You know, the Wallabies have shown that they can. Um, where does it leave New Zealand? I, they're probably not as good as everyone thinks that they still are. When they get into a into a contest, when they're physically matched up well against, they, they can struggle. I'll put this question to you, Christy. Is this the closest, say, the world's top seven or eight nations have been, um, not necessarily between World Cups, but at any stage of the professional era? I can't think back to a time where we've got, you know, teams beating teams and, you know, I, I think certainly you, you probably put South Africa out there at number one, um, clearly. Uh, well, maybe not clearly, but I think they, they're doing enough to, to hold that number one ranking. Um, we know the Wallabies beat them twice down here. Um, France picked off a game in Australia. Um, you know, the, the All Blacks have, have been beaten by Ireland now. Um, Scotland have beaten Australia, as we said. Uh, it's, it's all just, you know... Yeah, it's hard to get a clear read on, you know, exactly what the pecking order is here at the moment. That's great for the game and great heading into the next World Cup. Um, but it's just a wonder if one team kind of takes the next couple of years or at least the 18 months leading into the World Cup with a bit of a stranglehold, lays down some performances, said, yes, we're the team to beat in France 2023. Yeah. And Paul Cully's actually raised that point a couple of times in his columns yep. and he's been bang on the money. 2015, I thought, well, when you've got England missing out, on the, on the finals, that shows the game's in pretty good health. Um, I think it is even tighter now. Um, and you look, at, you look at what's ahead and you think Fiji can only get better because we know the eligibility laws are slightly changing, um, but also the introduction, and it's not a bad segue into the Super Rugby discussion, um, by having a Fiji and draw side will only help the profile of the game to be able to retain some players, but also to be able to just showcase, showcase, well, you can play for Fiji. You've got a clear now channel into the international game and your best Fijian players don't just have to come to Australia or neighbouring countries or find their way into, you know, rich contracts into France or indeed the NRL. But, you know, they're, they're the sleeping giant really of, of, of world rugby. So Simon Rauhalui, a friend of ours, having, um, worked for the Wallabies previously and played in, in Shoot Shield, uh, the competitions in the years gone by, he, he'll be licking his lips and really excited about the direction ahead for them. Japan, similarly to, you know, strong competition that's only getting stronger, but also hopefully that, them coming into a, a rugby championship going forward would be great. The, the nation that I think World Rugby really needs to make sure that they harness is Argentina because when Argentina is pretty strong, um, I think the game is in, in richer health because you need an America's somewhere in the Americas playing well. Absolutely. Uh, and, of course, you think ahead to that uh, World Cup in 2023, Australia, Fiji and Wales grouped together again. Uh, 
after um, the last uh, two World Cups, actually, both England uh, in 2015 and then Japan in 2019. It's happened all over again. So there's, uh, there's going to be a couple of particularly big clashes there. And we know that the heat that that Fijian team put the Wallabies under there in their opening game in Sapporo in that first half there a couple of years ago as well. So fascinating uh, to keep an eye on that, and particularly when it pops up at the World Cup, of course. Um, we mentioned it earlier, Christy, and you again just a few moments ago, Super Rugby Pacific. The draw came out yesterday, Monday. Um, uh, I, I guess the big takeaway is the, the Super Round uh, landing in Melbourne, which um, I certainly probably didn't see coming. But when you look at it, you think, well, the Rebels players have barely played on home soil the last at, at all the last couple of years um, because of the the, the COVID outbreaks down there in Victoria on, on two obviously separate occasions. Um, uh, there's obviously been an investment from the Victorian government or the, the Victorian sports and events um, committee, whatever it is down there. Um, look, I think it's it's going to be a fantastic weekend. Six games at Amy Park. Um, I know there'll be uh, journos from all over the from Australia and New Zealand uh, rugby circles trying to get across there and, and enjoy that festival of rugby. Um, Otherwise, uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, play everyone once as we knew and then the three what they've termed rivalry games of kind of a, a bit of an odd mix in, in some parts, but a classic mix in others. Um, I guess, you know, what did you, was your major takeaway from the, the draw yesterday? Yeah, it's a funny one, um, given that, you know, we know that the position of the game where it's at in terms of broadcasting, in terms of giving resources to and so forth. Oh, I'd known for some time that, that Melbourne was going to get the super round. I think it was a good thing. What I what I knew was that there was a bit of debate from New Zealand. They weren't particularly happy with the draw um, at times. And that's where I think there was a bit of the push and the shove and the takeaways. But it's great for, I think, Melbourne because they need uh, a fair bit after the couple of years that they have, as have Auckland. And, and that was probably one of the other areas that we're really contesting tightly for that one. Um, Hopefully it's well supported because yes, there's going to be some great rugby there, but the worst thing that you could happen is for Amy Park, which only holds, what is it? 20, 25,000 there anyway, but it's a great stadium if you haven't been there, but um, it is small. So you'd, you'd want it to be you know close to, to sold out as much as possible. So fingers crossed people do get around it. People that can come into the city easily and even across the ditch, hopefully the world sorted itself out by there. Um, I like the ideas of the the, the, the cultural round. You know, you're not yep. just labelling it Indigenous because therefore you're, you're supporting, you know, cultures all around the world, but also, you know, the Pacifica culture, which is which is huge, the Polynesian culture, which is... And massive. only going to be enriched in next season, clearly. Yeah, so I think that's a really positive step forward. And it's not just, you know, highlighting and pinpointing one thing. It's, it's all-encompassing, which is, I think, a great thing. Um uh, you know, 18, 18 week three. I, I still think that 18 finals too much should have been six. Um, and, and it also allows for if you do do something like that, the, the, the top two to have an extra week off and maybe have, you know, miss the quarter final yep. and allow for the, the bottom four of those six. That, that's, and reward that regular season dominance here. Yeah, you've got to reward that. Um, we know that sides, you know, can have off days. So you... you Yes, you'd you like to see an upset here or there, but you know if you do have a really dominant side, I, I'm sure that they would win anyway. You know, Crusaders if they top the charts, you know they don't lose games at home, particularly to to a side that's probably eighth or seventh. So you'd think that would occur, but it's good that a draw is there because what particularly the Australian Super Rugby sides need is stronger marketing campaigns, stronger. 
um, awareness around when are your home games, particularly when the Sydney Football Stadium is near. It's not quite nearing its its uh, completion, but it's getting there. And having driven past it yesterday, it's going to be a great stadium. But people need to know where games are because if you're a Waratahs fan and years gone by, well, the last one or two years, it's well, where the heck are they actually playing? And a lot of the time, if it's at the Sydney Cricket Ground, you kind of turn your nose up a little bit. Not a great viewing uh, vantage point there at the SCG as much as we love it. This is the home of cricket uh, here in New South Wales. Uh, Christy, any indication then, uh, are we thinking back to Brookvale again, Wollongong, Newcastle for these other Waratahs games? And I must admit, I was surprised to not see a Reds game taken to Townsville on the draw. And I asked Sam accordingly that yesterday. And you can't really go through every every game and go, well, what, what's happening here or there? Um uh, particularly when there's when there's a cricket world cup that you're having to report on and get get up right throughout the middle of the night on a number of occasions, but um, he said that yeah that's that's on the horizon, but it, it's not going to be next year, and, and that's I think disappointing because we know that that was their one game success against New Zealand opposition. It's a good venue. What an opportunity to continue to capitalise after taking a well supported uh, Wallabies, you know. Doubleheader there, yeah. yeah. New Zealand, South Africa game there. There was such a great buzz there for that match. So why not continue to invest in Queensland, not just in Brisbane? So that was the disappointing thing. And you, you would hope that the, the Waratahs do take a game to Brookvale, despite the fact that it seems like it's a bit of a, um, a poisoned ground. Yet to get a win there. The Hurricanes, Blues, and, of course, the Chiefs uh, this year, they're, they're winless there so far, I think. Yeah, but, you know, they're winless everywhere at the moment, the Waratahs. So Dar- Darren Coleman spoke yesterday too, and, you know, he, he's a guy who's a straight shooter, and I'm really fascinated to see where the Waratahs get to underneath him because I think you will, I think you will do a good job. Um, Dave Dennis is going to be uh, training there for over the next week or two. He's coming in before he returns to the major uh, league competition over in, over in the States, and he's a guy that, is Mr. Waratah, really. He represents the the past, having played with guys like Phil War. Um, but he also, uh, you know, and obviously, whilst he didn't play in that final in 2014, he, 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 was, he was there as the club captain. Um, so he'll be driving those standards for the youngsters that are coming through because there's a, a lot of them at, the, at New South Wales at the moment. Sure is. Uh, just before we wrap up today, I jumped on the New Zealand rugby call in, in uh, after the drill was announced um, and uh, Chris Landrum, the head of professional rugby over there, indicated there might be a chance that Fiji could actually get back for a couple of home games uh, uh, on the islands, I guess, in Suva um, uh, later in the year, which would just be fantastic to see that first uh, Super Rugby game by a Fijian side on, on home soil. We know the Crusaders and Chiefs have played there a few times in in recent years, but uh, that'd be one hell of a night out uh, to be there yeah. for that one for sure. So something to look forward to, Christy. Uh, before that, I'm looking forward for a bit of a break over the summer, um, taking some cricket uh, a few weeks off. Um, we'll uh, we'll probably drop one more podcast to wrap it all up next week after uh, this uh, finale of the November tests. Of course, uh, we'll be heading to Wales as we as we mentioned, um, desperately in need of a win to to kind of secure the. That can or consolidate the, the progress of this year, I think. Um, mate, thanks again for making the time for us, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk again soon.